me in there, and I didn't pay to get. You're listening to the City World Radio Network, high-definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world, www.cityworldradio.com. And welcome to Morph Mom Moments. We're on a special night tonight for those of you familiar with the show. We're normally on Thursday nights from 7 to 8. Uh, but tonight we have a very special guest on this very special evening, this Wednesday, 5 to 6, and we are thrilled to have her here. I'm here with my co-host, Elizabeth Lenz, tonight. And again, as I said, our very special guest calling in from Arizona, Lisa McNamara, the co-founder of Liam's Room. And Lisa, I'm going to further introduce you in a few seconds, but to, for those listeners who are new to us tonight, I just want to give a brief and I promise you quick explanation of what Morph Mom is and how sort of why we are called Morph Mom Moments. And Morph Mom is actually the reason I met Lisa. So it's a blessing just right there and then. Um, so basically, I apologize again to those of you who heard this before and are listening it again. I'm sure you can repeat it in your sleep. But for those of you who are new, I will try and do another abbreviated version. Uh, so once again, I used to be a lawyer, had kids, stopped. 14 years later, tried to go back, uh, wasn't working out, they didn't want me, and I really should not have gone back there. Um, tried to figure out what to do, tried to write a book, didn't go so well, and then really was in a funk, like what to do, no confidence, no contacts, no, really didn't know who I was anymore. And I found in the struggle that I was having, I was surrounded by many, many also in that struggle as well. And rather than reinvent the wheel for all of us to go out there and find women who had gone through this, overcome this, and figured out what they wanted to do, how to do it, steps that they took, and they were kind enough to in turn pay it forward. And that was basically the genesis of Morph Mom. So I bought a camera, I bought a tripod, flew to California, <laughs> flew to California and began. And since then, the inception was about four years ago. We have about 600 videos up on morphmom.com, and it's M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com, for those of you interested. And it's sort of a library of every possible thing you could think of to... You name it, it's up there. And if you want it, email me, find me on Morph Mom, and I'll go out and find it. And the purpose is to connect women, to help them, to support them, to kind of know you always have a place to go when you're looking for how to get there, what to do, or just to talk to somebody. Since then, I started writing for the Huffington Post, and actually Lisa McNamara is up on Huffington Post as well on a Morph Mom column. Um, 
we also have cocktail parties around the country where people can actually meet in person as opposed to just the internet is great for some, but some are missing sort of that human connection. So very soon in the next two weeks, we are updating two pages on the site on morphmom.com and you'll be able to see when we're coming to a city near you. I always wanted to say that phrase, (laughs) but we are going to be coming to a city near you with these cocktail parties. We have some speakers, we have some speaker series coming, and we've also started some classes that are really, really fun a Morph Mom Masterclass for those who have an idea, have a business, and just need a little bit of guidance or direction. And then we have something called, hmm, what do I do next? And that's more of a roundtable discussion for women. Again, we're going to bring this around the country, just beginning and just sort of, you know, for the first time in a long time, going back and looking within themselves and seeing what it is that they get excited about. You know, sort of when was the last time somebody actually asked you about you? Um, So we're very excited about this. And now the radio show which is the most exciting thing. So once again, we are normally on Thursday nights from 7 to 8. This week is a special night with Lisa. Uh, Join us tomorrow night as well. We're going to have a repeat from a few months ago with uh, Lucy Danziger, who was the uh, ex-editor-in-chief of Self Magazine, now has become Hinted.com, and uh, Malcolm Sutherland Foggio, who's a just extraordinary kid, a senior in high school. It's actually his prom tomorrow night. And he will discuss an incredibly courageous battle with cancer and what he did as a result. And it's called Make Some Noise. So I encourage you to listen in tomorrow night as well. And Lisa, I don't know if you know this, but this will be up on an iTunes podcast tomorrow. Um, so Terrific. It's really fun. So those of you out there listening, if you someone says, oh, I can't believe I missed that amazing show, that amazing Lisa McNamara, you can say, well, just to go onto iTunes podcast, Morph Mom Moments, and it's there for eternity. Um, also, for those of you out there, if you'd like to call in, it's 212-631-7553. Again, 212-631-7553. And the site is morphmom.com, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com. And by the way, Lisa's video is also up on morphmom.com. So if you want to hear even more about her story, um, it's an amazing video. It's just, I'm forever thankful. I'm forever grateful. And um, once again, that Morph Mom brought us together. And uh, once again, it's Elizabeth Lenz and I tonight co-hosting the show. And I'm, without further ado, I'm going to introduce my amazing guest, Lisa McNamara, co-founder of Liam's Room. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Good evening. So excited to have you here. I'm very excited to be here. I feel very blessed to have been um, asked if I could participate. This is a wonderful platform for, for anyone to be able to introduce people to what they're working on. Thank you for saying that. And for those of you uh, out there, the way I found Lisa, there was a huge spread of Lisa in a, in a magazine that I was reading one day. And as you will hear her story very soon, I, I have to meet this woman. She's amazing. She is inspirational. She is everything you ever want to be. And I reached out to Lisa blindly and I said, I, you know, here's my thing. And Morph Mom was actually relatively new, Lisa, right? We've been friends now for a few years. So this yeah, is... Yeah, I don't I'm, even think you own the tripod yet. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I still can't work it, so don't worry. I still, still can't figure that thing out. <laughs> um, it's true. And, I, and Lisa immediately replied, said yes. I went to our living room and we sat for hours. And I'm just so forever grateful for your faith in me and your willingness to participate in this. And that's just one indication of how wonderful Lisa is. Um, so Lisa, I hope you know that like as one of my first, I am forever grateful. Um, well, thank you. Well, well, you are the best. Um, so let's talk about you. Let's, um, Lisa sort of introduce yourself and what it is you're doing now and sort of your journey to how you got there. 
Okay, well, um, my name is Lisa McNamara, and I currently reside in Arizona. However, when um, I was introduced to Morph Mom, I lived in Westfield, New Jersey, and that is where the uh, genesis of Liam's Room really started. Um, back in 2005, I gave birth to twin boys, Liam and Nathaniel, and prior to giving birth, um, during one of my ultrasounds, we were told that something looked a little off with Liam, um, but that we'd have to wait for the boys to be born in order to really determine what was going on with him. And throughout that process, which was a very long and grueling process, um, kind of the seeds for Liam's room were born. And when they told you originally, that did they give you any indication of what it was, or did they sort of say they left it pretty open? It was very open-ended. Um, it was an ultrasound where they were, I, I believe, looking, you know, really, you know, fingers, toes, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. This is my five-month um, ultrasound, and they just said something looked off, but they really couldn't specify what that was. Um, after... Liam and Nathaniel were born. Um, Nathaniel was taken to the NICU. He definitely showed some facial features that were um, attributable to a p potential syndrome as well as some other issues that were going on. He was having a hard time feeding, um, just, just kind of a laundry list of things, but still they really didn't have a determination of exactly what it was. How long was he in the NICU before they told you or something more specific? Um, so they kept Liam in the NICU for um, about a week after we brought Nathaniel home and uh, still no determination of exactly what was going on. He was stable enough to come home. Um, we kind of were given a list of specialists to start uh, visiting and sent his blood work off for some genetic testing, and, you know, that's kind of how things were left. So after that, it was really um, a lot of visits to a lot of different clinics, specialists, different hospitals in the tri-state area, a lot of poking and prodding, um, and still really no answers, um, really more pieces of the puzzle that didn't quite fit. So it wasn't until Liam was four months old that um, our neurologist suggested uh, performing an MRI, which we, we did, and that's when a, a determination was made that he had um, a diagnosis called lysencephaly, which um, means that when he was in utero, his brain did not develop properly. Um, the normal folds within the brain didn't form. Um, which, you know, caused caused the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And after that, so could he come home then, or w was he back? He was home. He was, was home with us that whole time. Oh, yes. After he was, um, you know, discharged from the hospital after being born and staying in the NICU for an extra week, he was home with us throughout this whole time. Um, so I was caring for him and also for Nathaniel, and we also have a son, Trevor, who at the time was seven. So a lot of juggling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bit of a busy time. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, yes. Under normal circumstances, having newborn twins and a seven-year-old is, is daunting enough, and this just really added to, to the craziness of the situation. So so after the diagnosis, you see he was home for a while. And for those of you joining in just now, I'm on the phone with Lisa McNamara, co-founder of the most amazing nonprofit, Liam's Room. And you're, you're going to hear all about it tonight and really what Lisa and her family have done for so many people out there and are yet to come to help them. Um, so we're sort of discussing the genesis of Liam, Liam's Room and how it came to be. Um, so Lisa, you see he was home for a while and then eventually did he then had to start sort of going into the hospital or how did, what was the progression with that so the progression of his his illness um was that he, um as he you know started to become a little bit older he would start having some seizures um he continued to have some significant um eating issues had a really difficult time swallowing um also led to a lot of respiratory issues so um we were advised and followed our doctor's advice, and we had a feeding tube inserted as well as an additional um, surgical procedure to try to prevent some of um, the reflux that was happening. Um, and from there, everything just kind of snowballed. Mm -hmm. So probably every four to six weeks, we were in the emergency room either due to a significant seizure episode or some type of respiratory distress. Um, and he would stay in the hospital, you know, varying times, a couple of days, a week or so, bring him home, and the cycle would just kind of continue. And as you mentioned, you had two other kids at home. Yes. As all this is going on. So. <laughs> a very needy other newborn <laughs> and a thankfully not so needy seven-year-old. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, as I'm sure you can imagine, extremely disruptive to to any family to not only be, you know, carting one of your children back and forth to the hospital, but also trying to figure out who's going to care for your children who are at home, how is, you know, if you, if you work or your your spouse or partner works, you know, how are they going to get to to function at their job? We also had nurses that um, came in and out of the house all day long. Thankfully, we had amazing insurance that allowed us to have access to the nursing care, but also um, physical therapists, occupational therapists, you know, all, all kind. it was a, pretty much a parade yeah. in and out of our home when we, when we weren't in the hospital. Ugh. And so, uh, so you said, so it sort of became almost like a monthly, at least monthly thing. That, and, and did that start to increase or did the visits start to get longer? Um, it really varied. Um, during one of Liam's visits, actually during uh, a Thanksgiving holiday, he really was was not doing well at all, and the doctors really didn't even think that we were going to be able to bring him home. Um, and thankfully, he did bounce back again yeah. <laughs> uh, a few more times. But um, you know that that takes in a tremendous toll on a family and just adds a significant amount of stress, especially since. You know the hospital. The, the basic hospital environment is really not conducive to having um, young siblings visit mm -hmm. or family members or even you know a parent to be able to stay over. Right. And for those of you out there who have had any experience with this, any time that you sort of have a child there, you have to sort of be there, right? Because it's so hard to. And understandably, they're so busy. 
but it's so hard to get somebody to come in to that child's room on top of you having to be there all the time. It's just, it's, and, and on top of the emotional part that's going on as well. So, right, right. And with every visit, you know, with every new visit to the hospital, there's a new intern or a new resident that you ha- kind of have to, you know, spit out your story again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, you become extremely proficient in uh, medical terminology and dosages and all that kind of thing. Not something that any parent really wants to um, be super knowledgeable about. Right, mm-hmm. right. And especially the dosages, that just has to be so overwhelming. It, you know, just the pressure of that. And then on top of everything else, you have two other kids. You're, it's so much goes into this. Um, yes. And I think, and again, for those tuning in, we've got Lisa McNamara, the co-founder of Liam's Room tonight. And um, just again, discussing one of the most, really of everything I've ever heard about, one of the most amazing nonprofit organizations I've ever come across. And also Lisa, I think one of the most amazing and strongest women and friends that I've ever come across as well uh, <laughs> Thank you. she's stuck with me even she doesn't want me back <laughs> it's too bad um so so is this as time went on lisa and you were saying and again just the managing so you've got the dosages you've got the medical things you have to worry about you have these two kids you have to juggle your husband's got to get like everything you're sort of managing all of this yes and, yes you wear a lot of different hats and for those out there that may be going through something similar to this, what advice would, what do you think kept you going or what was your best way to get through this and to keep on top of everything? Um, honestly, I, I kind of believe that um, you're, you really have no choice in the matter. Yeah. You, you, of course, want want the best for your child and want to make sure that you know, there's no stone left unturned, and you do everything that anyone with with any level of expertise tells you to do. Um, I think what I, you know, looking back, what I wished someone had done with our family, especially given the fact that Liam's um, diagnosis, you know, there was no cure for, for what was happening. There was no way to prevent what was happening. Um, I wish someone had sat with us and said, what do you want your time with Liam to look like? What do you, you know, what, it, what are the dynamics of your family and how can we best um, make sure that all those moving parts stay moving in the direction that you want them to be moving in? And it wasn't really until after Liam passed away that I learned that that does exist um, within within the realm of palliative care, mm-hmm. that that really encompasses what palliative care is all about, something that I was completely miseducated and misinformed about at the time. Um, and and I, I, you know, that that's really become my, my mission and my passion is to open people's eyes to the benefits that having palliative care can offer. And... I, and is that how, so when you began Liam's Room, was that one of the reasons for beginning it? Or was that in the back of your mind the whole time? Like, this is what I want to, this is how the direction we're going to go in. And from there, we're going to figure this out. Or, or I guess what you explained to all of us, what was it that sort of gave you the idea and then how it followed through? Um, I mean, I think at the time when we were going through all of this, I really wasn't um, conscious of, 
what I was searching for. Um, but, but, you know, right after Liam passed away, my husband Peter and I both kind of looked at each other and said, you know, we, we need to do something to carry on Liam's legacy. What is it going to look like? And, you know, this little voice inside my head just kept telling, you know, just kept speaking to me saying, you know, something was missing when we were caring for Liam. What was it? And the more, really, the more research I did, the, the more I came to learn, like, that was it. That is what we needed. And we need to make sure that other people are offered this service, um, you know, when it's needed. Was there ever a time they brought it up to you at the hospital? Um, during one of Liam's admissions, one of the adult palliative care physicians came to speak to me, um, but it was really more a conversation about hospice, which um, at the time I assumed were synonymous, that hospice meant um, end of life, that, you know, it was really just to make sure he was comfortable, and, you know, it, it meant dying. Um Comfort is definitely a, a huge component in palliative care, but palliative care is, is not about dying. It's really more about living and living with quality, whether that be a day, a month, a year, or a lifetime. You know, there are, there are people, um, and especially children, who have situations and diseases and diagnoses that they carry with them their entire lives. And palliative care can make such an impact on making sure that that their life, um, you know, is one free of pain, one that um, the whole family is is supported, and and the utmost quality is is guaranteed. And when you introduced this, and you said there was adult palliative care. Was there a huge presence of children's palliative care available at the time, or existing even? Um, at the hospital where we spent all of our time, there was no children's palliative care. Um, in doing my research, there the concept of pediatric palliative care is huge um, overseas, especially in England, and um, there are smatterings of palliative care concepts throughout the country, um, but very few real formal programs. So there are, you know, there are physicians, probably many clinicians throughout the country that um, provide different pieces of palliative care while they're caring for a family, but there isn't a lot of formal um, programs or formally trained clinicians. So palliative care is not... Uh directed solely at the patient? It's more for the entire family? Um, it, it focuses on the entire family and the dynamics of that family. So it does include sibling support. Um, it, it takes into account um, someone's spiritual beliefs. Um, pain management is a large component. There's so many real different pieces to palliative care and they're all kind of interchangeable depending on on uh, what a family's needs are and when you began Liam's room and I want to for those of you joining us right now uh, welcome to Morph Mom Moments on this special evening with our very special guest Lisa McNamara of Liam's room and we're just learning how uh, palliative care is an enormously large part of Liam's room um, 
But Lisa, will you explain to us now, I guess that what I've, I've mentioned this, um, sort of the overall picture of Liam's room and exactly it encompasses so much and helps so many. Can you sort of break it down for us? Sure. So we really have kind of two, um, two basic missions. So the first is to raise money to help fund the education of clinicians on um, what palliative care really looks like and how to implement that um, in a hot, inpatient setting. So, for example, we have raised money and paid for three clinicians, two in New Jersey and one in Manhattan, to attend um, Harvard University's PD, uh, palliative care conference, which is a year-long um, course, which um, at the end you become, the clinician becomes certified in, in palliative care. Um, we've also sent um, several nurses, all of, of whom practice in New Jersey, um, to different conferences throughout the country to learn more about pediatric palliative care. So that's kind of one piece to our our mission. And the other piece, and the, the piece, again, that I, I believe I touched on when we were uh, talking, is the physical space in the hospital is just so not family-friendly. Um, something that we learned firsthand when we were caring for Liam, um, you know, Nathaniel, who was also an infant at the time, he never came to the hospital to visit his brother. It just wasn't a, a, a space that I felt comfortable bringing him to. However, Trevor, who was seven at the time, you know, always wanted to come and visit his brother and would frequently come right after school and, you know, even though he was only seven, he did have homework to do and he would be sitting with you know, the homework in his lap or, you know, had it draped over the sink to do his homework and, you know, the room, hospital rooms in general are, are not the, the prettiest things to look at. Um, so I, I really wanted to focus also on redesigning rooms, especially for families whose children are spending, um, you know, an exorbitant, exorbitant amount of time in the hospital to something that really looked more like a child's room, that had all the amenities that a child's room should have, that, you know, when, when they, you know, came back from the x-ray machine, they could shut the door and really feel like they weren't in the hospital anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is thankfully what we've done thanks to, you know, some very wonderful donors that we've had throughout the years. We have two Liam's rooms in New Jersey currently, one at Overlook Hospital in Summit and one at Gloria Children's Hospital in Morristown. And we are in the process of um, building a third room in South Jersey at Jersey Shore University Medical Center. And, um, you know, the feedback that we get from families who have stayed in Liam's room is really, it's it's quite extraordinary. Um, they're, they're just so grateful to have that space, that family space, where they can really spend time as a family. And how did you get started? You had this wonderful idea. What was your first step to make this whole thing grow? Um, our first step was to raise some money. <laughs> Everything costs money. Um so we started with some seed money, and we presented, my husband and I presented our idea to Overlook Hospital, and with quite a lot of um, prodding, 
<laughs> and and explaining uh, what what our concept was, they were open to um, partnering with us, and that's really how things got started. Um, that room has been open for quite some time now, and you know, uh, over I'd say over two or three hundred families have used that room. Um, and and have loved being there, uh, although uh, many times the circumstances are quite terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd like to think that that we've helped in in making their time in the hospital a little bit better. I, I had the fortune of or the good fortune. So when Lisa and I did our interview for Morph Mom, and those of you tuning in again tonight, go to morphmom dot com and dot com if you want to watch Lisa's video. So inspirational, so amazing, mm-hmm. and we have a whole video of one of the rooms, of the first room, I think, Lisa, right at, at Overlook. It was Liam's yes. room. Yes, And um, so we did the interview, as we explained before, in Lisa's living room. Never having met me, she let me in and let me stay, which was shocking. And we did a second portion over at the hospital, and we filmed the nurses who had been there, who were involved, and we filmed the room, and, and we actually filmed the book that Lisa just talked about. But Lisa, to give... Uh, listeners sort of a visual of of what it's like it was one of the most amazing things i've ever seen in my entire life but lisa can you sort of describe sort of the transformation to to what the room becomes sure and if if anyone wants to see photos um you can go to our website which is www.liamsroom.org but basically um initially the hospital room the only way it could you know, kind of give you a visual as if you picture a big bowl of oatmeal, just kind of very bland, <laughs> bland and tan. Um, and not something that someone, you know, sitting in a bed all day long uh, wants to be looking at. So our, our initial thought was, what, can, what, what is a theme that we could use that would be um, gender neutral, that, that everyone, you know, kind of gets some calm and peace from him, so we we honed in on the beach. So uh, the whole theme of, of both rooms, and now what will be a third room, is um, the serenity of the beach. So we literally, we took the room back to the studs, we redesigned the entire room so that um, there's uh, an in-room refrigerator, there's a DVD player and a video game system already built into the room. You don't have to call Child Life Services and have them wheel that stuff in, especially in the middle of the night if you're up all night and you want to watch a movie. There's movies at your fingertips in the room. Um, There are video games. There are snacks. There's um, comfortable seating for families, not a hard wooden rocking chair, but upholstered seating. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a, a couch that pulls out so that um, mom or dad or whomever can stay over or that the child can actually have another place to spend some time or to sleep. The bathroom was redesigned. We had um, someone come and paint a beautiful beach scene in the bathroom. You know, we really try. There's a desk for people to be able to work on their computer, mom or dad to do um to do work or a sibling to be able to do their homework. There's a closet and an armoire where you can hang your clothes. There's real towels, real sheets and bedding. We really just tried to make it as home-like as we could. It's, you walk in and it's as 
a, a place you may you don't want to be. You walk and you sort of you can forget almost for a moment where you are. And I remember just walking in there, and the there was this beautiful mural on the wall as well, and then the sky, the ceiling has with the clouds and the stars it, it's amazing lisa can you talk about that too what it's like at night for the kids um so over the bed there's an illuminated scene um in in overlook um i believe it's the milky way and at at morristown i believe it's just some clouds but if you if you turn off all the lights you just have this beautifully illuminated scene you know most kids unfortunately have to be laying down looking up at the ceiling quite a bit and at least they have something pretty to look at and hopefully they can close their eyes and picture themselves at the beach it really is the most amazing thing what you guys have done and you mentioned earlier uh again i think still one of the most moving things that i've ever seen or read ever was a book, a journal that is now in Liam's room and that uh, families who have stayed there with a child uh, leave notes to you. And can you talk about that as well? And also that's on the video too, by the way. Um, but if you could um, yeah, share that. We, we, we like to call it the guest book, um, almost like as if you were in the hotel and <laughs> you'd, you'd leave a note you know, for the next guest. And actually, if you don't mind, I do have a few excerpts um, recent excerpts, if I could just share them. Please, that might mine. Things, <laughs> yes, please might share them. Make it a little easier. So um, just to give you an example, um, a young lady left us a note who had stayed there, and she said, staying in the hospital for an extended amount of time is never easy, but being able to spend the time in the comfort of this wonderful room made me feel right at home. Having any bit of, of normalcy while being sick is always reassuring, and it made this stay at the hospital much more relaxing. Thank you for the gift of this amazing room, and all it has done for my family and I. And that really encompasses why we do what we do. Right, right, right. And do you have others that do you have others that you want to share as well? Um, let's see. I'm on my computer, so I'm just trying to <laughs> scroll through. And, and, and while you're scrolling, how many have stayed in the room? And, and this is just in the in the Overlook hospital. Well, um, several hundred, and then you know, at Morristown, it's it's a much busier hospital. And I don't know if this is fortunate or unfortunate, but but since we opened the room, um, I'm trying to remember now, four years ago, I believe. Uh, that, I don't think that room has been empty more than a handful of times. Um, we recently had a family who stayed, you know, they were in there. Their son was diagnosed with um, a pediatric form of cancer, and he was admitted into Liam's room, and he spent 24 days in there. And the feedback that we got from his family couldn't have been anything more than extraordinary. They They were just so thrilled and grateful to have that space for him to be able to thankfully um, heal. He's now in remission. Um, and, you know, it just, it really makes, you know, warms my heart to know that, that Liam, Liam has, is touching people in that way. Right. That somehow there's a, somehow there's a reason for everything and somehow, things happen that you are making changes and you are helping families forever i mean to come it's it's what you're doing is something no one had touched upon but it affects so many people and i really encourage you guys to watch this this video and see what this room is like it is 
it's transforming when you walk in there and realize what the McNamara family has done for so many. Um, when you said that he was in for 24 days and that there have been, there are only three rooms right now. How do you get that room? How can right. you get your child <laughs> into that room? Um, well, it's really dependent upon the clinicians at the hospital. There are, um, you know, they determine that if the situation is appropriate for a family to be staying in Liam's room. Um, you know, we kind of determine that criteria in advance when we are partnering with a hospital. Obviously, an end-of-life situation would take precedence over any other situation. But, um, you know, the types of diagnoses that, that children have that have stayed in Liam's room has really run the gamut from um, children with pediatric cancers, cystic fibrosis, um, different very complicated surgeries, uh, neurological conditions, um, even, even to someone with a significant case of asthma. I mean, that, that's really my point about palliative care is that it, it, can, it can assist and support families w- with such a wide range of, of diagnoses and situations and, and make a real significant positive impact. And with the palliative care, so now that this has been implemented in these in this in Overlook and other hospitals, just speak is the palliative care is not limited to the Liam's room patients. Is it now available to like how how is it available and who is it available to? Um, well, well, you know now that now that we have kind of opened the eyes of clinicians and as well as families to what palliative care really looks like. Um, no, there are you know you're not limited because you didn't stay in a Liam's room mm-hmm. to receive palliative care. Uh, again, you know we've tr- we've trained so many clinicians on what it really looks like that that they are implementing it in so many different other situations and situations even where a family may not barely ever spend any time in the hospital. It's still available to them. Yes. And for those of you joining us tonight, welcome to Morph Mom Moments on this special night. And again, with our very special guest, Lisa McNamara, co-founder of Liam's Room. And trust me, you are listening in to an amazing hour of radio as we listen to Lisa's story and what she and her family have created. And it is one of the most amazing uh, nonprofits, but almost more of a movement, I guess, with a, a palliative care <laughs> movement because it's so valuable and it's so necessary and it's something that was so needed. It was such a missing piece of a puzzle that we needed to, to happen, and you guys made it happen. And Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very proud of the work that, that our entire board has done in really um, educating and opening the, the eyes of people to understanding what it is and why it's so important. And to become a part of palliative care, on the other side, as to help with palliative care, um, are there positions that don't require degrees? Are there ways that you could volunteer for this where I remember you saying to me, I had some conversation about if we, you know, moms would say, I'll bring pizza, because you can't leave. You can't leave the hospital. You can't go out and get pizza. You can't get your mail. You can't get whatever it is where you, where you could almost have a shift of mothers or whoever, or women, anybody, anybody, men who would sort of sign up for an hour here, an hour there to help. Could that, or is that a part of palliative care? Um, I definitely think that would fall under the umbrella umbrella of palliative care. I mean, palliative care really is all about support, whatever that support looks like, whether um, it be um, 
relieving a parent who can't leave the hospital because they don't want to leave their child and go watch their other child's soccer game to knowing that someone's spending a ridiculous amount of time in the hospital and calling up the front desk and saying, I want to have a pizza delivered to this family. Um, that's palliative care. I mean, it's all about just supporting a family under these, you know, really terrible circumstances. So if there were people out there listening tonight thinking, you know, I don't have the medical degree necessarily, but I would love to somehow help with this program, help with Liam's room and this palliative care, could they reach out to you? Like, what would be a good course for them to take? Um, Well, I think the first thing is to definitely visit our website, which is, again, www.liamsroom.org, and really learn more about what palliative care is. And I think spreading the word is tremendous. Um, many families out there who could really benefit from these services either don't know that they're in existence or don't know that they should be asking for it. So really just, um, you know, spreading the word of education is huge. Um, another way to help is, um, you know, unfortunately these things don't get paid for magically. Make, you know, making a donation to Liam's room would be tremendous, Um, letting us know that your community is uh, interested would be would be fantastic um yeah we're i mean we're open to any any forms of communication (laughs) feel free um, if you have any ideas or thoughts we would love to hear them and so far the the rooms are in new jersey but will liam's room be taking these rooms to other states as well uh, that would be our long-term goal for sure. Um, you know, now that, that my family and I reside in Arizona, I am pushing hard to get a Liam's room or several Liam's rooms in different medical facilities here. Um, there are other states where there are organizations that have reached out to us and said, you know, we want to work with you to try to get, get this, in our, in our community, in our community hospital or, or our children's hospital. So, yes, I, I think that um, we definitely are looking to grow. And if someone was interested in that aspect of it, as opposed to just becoming involved in palliative care, helping you to grow that, would the advice be the same to contact you at Liam's room? Or what would their best route be? Um, they could email me. It's lisa at liamsroom.org. And... Um, yeah, we could definitely start some type of dialogue or I could, you know, at least give them proper, hopefully proper direction on what to do next. So um, at those of you joining in, we were describing an example of what Liam's room looks like. And I am so fortunate that I was able to go in there and, and videotape it. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. It really is beautiful. Lisa, what's your favorite part of the room what is it what is most significant to you when you walk into that room well the first most significant part is our logo which is um a picture of a house with a kind of crooked looking sun in the middle which was drawn by our son trevor uh who at the time was eight years old and i said to him i need you to draw something for me, I need a kid's version of a house, and he did it, and it was spot on. And every time I look at that, I it just I'm I'm so proud that he had such a big part in in our logo. And um, 
you know, as far as what I'm most proud of in the room, um, there's not really anything specific. I mean, anytime I read something from our guest book or a family emails me to tell me how grateful they are to have had the space, that really is, is what I'm most proud of. I mean, the entire thing is something to be so proud of. And I would think also, like you said, that both of your boys have now experienced this. It's sort of a family thing. And what is their understanding of Liam's room, both sons? Um, Well, Trevor, who is now, I can't believe, a junior in high school (laughs) (laughs) and 17 years old, um, you know, he's grown up with Liam's room. Mm -hmm. Um, His friends know about room he he has you know been a kind of an advisor to us from its inception um from you know helping us pick out things for the room um you know he actually did help participate in the the painting of the mural in morristown um and he really understands our mission and and how important it is uh, not only to our family, but but to any family that we've touched by um, having Liam's room. And for Nathaniel, who is now 10 years old, um, he also has grown up with Liam's room. Um, he, I think he sees it from a little bit of a different perspective. He very proudly wears his T-shirts and hats and bracelets and talks about Liam's room, you know, to anyone that will listen. Um but for him, it's really more of a tangible thing. It's more about um, the room and the space and the feeling that it provides to families. Which is indescribable. I mean, having been in there, it literally is indescribable. And I was able to speak with the nursing staff and some of the doctors when I was there, and they all, everyone is just so behind this and what it means to families and what it does. And it's just, I, I don't know, I think you have to actually see it to just realize the impact that it has. And I'm so encouraged and impressed by your ability to bring this idea to fruition. Can you tell us a little about your background? Like, you know, what was your career, um, you know, or your series of careers? And how, you know, and what did you draw on from your own background that helped you um, grow this amazing idea? Um, Well, I studied psychology in college. And really did nothing with it <laughs> Wait, I disagree. I think you've done a lot with it. <laughs> I challenge that. Um, I mean, if you, if you had told me when I, you know, was quite a bit younger that this is what I would be doing, I would have told you you were out of your mind. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's really more my, I, I kind of like my mom tuition. <laughs> um you know, I really just felt so strongly that I needed to do something after Liam passed away to make families' experiences hopefully a little bit better than what ours was. Now, that doesn't really answer your question, but... No, it does. Sorry about that. But I still think the <laughs> psychology was there because you knew that there had to be a way to approach this. And I think right. just mentally and emotionally helping all these people has been more impactful than anything, probably. I mean, yes, and, I the, and the palliative that. care, like you were saying, I think also plays such an emotional and a mental part of this as well. So I think you bring so many things to the table that helped this get going. And I, I have another question for you. So for some, the hospitals that don't have Liam's room yet, are 
Can you introduce palliative care to those hospitals as well? Absolutely. I mean, there's really um, an abundance of resources out there for hospitals to be able to implement or utilize palliative care. I mean, just, um, you know, there are videos that you can look at online for free that really give you a glimpse into what palliative care looks like. And even just to be able to introduce bits and pieces of that into um, caring for families, I think will just have a huge impact. And if there are listeners out there today uh, with children that are ill and maybe possibly in hospital rooms right now listening, what what advice would you give to them or what, what would you suggest helped you get through this and now since palliative care that you've learned about adding the palliative care side to that as well? Um, well, I think when you're in the throes of a situation like ours, um, you really don't have time to stop and think about all the components that um, maybe are missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think if, if families really just take a quick second to take a deep breath and try to kind of close their eyes and get a better picture of what they want this to look like and then talk to your doctor and say all right let's 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 talk about this you know this is this is not a topic that a lot of doctors really like to broach um, especially given that um, a lot of people hear palliative care and automatically make the leap to end of life um, I think um, when it's approached in a different manner and understood the way it's meant to be understood um, so many people will embrace having it become a part of their their care plan and I think that's just really so important Do, prior to this was it even the medical from your experience was the medical community sort of equating the hospice with the palliative care as well? Was there not really a distinction made? Um, for the most part, yes. Uh, you know, palliative care, it, it's not a, it's not um, something that drives a lot of revenue. Uh, <laughs> um, a doctor's job, as it should be, is to treat and cure. This is not something that treats or cures anything specific. Um, so I think it's something, first of all, that really needs to be introduced in medical school. And I think, I believe it's starting to be introduced in medical school so that, um, you know, young, young medical students understand that this is, this is a part of treating a patient and family and is just as important as prescribing a medication or performing a surgical procedure. So when an explanation would be given, when the medical diagnosis would be given, are they being taught to also sort of give the consideration to palliative care and what would be offered to them as a family and things that they should think about? Or is it sort of suggested that here's the medical diagnosis and I'm going to refer you now to a palliative care? So do they all, are they now providing that information as well? Um, I think in a best-case scenario, um, when a family is brought into that horrible room and you know that the news is not going to be good, there 
should be a whole team of people in that room, and mm-hmm. one of the people on that team should be a palliative care uh, specialist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so since you've begun this program, and it's been five, how many years has it been that's officially been going? Um, almost nine. Wow, has it been that long? Wow, that is amazing. Yes. <laughs> Oh, and I think I'm so young, but we've well, that just put some years on me right there. Awesome. Um, can you explain a little bit now? We and oh, I'm so sad that we only have a couple minutes left. But can you explain to me sort of the progression of this palliative care movement and and what you've seen, what advancements you've seen, and what things you think are still there that need to be helped, that need to be improved? Um, well, I mean, I th- in the in the nine years. Since we've introduced Liam's room, um, I think pediatric palliative care has has made leaps and bounds in um, just you know being part of the language of caring for families who have a, a child who's chronically ill. Um, I, I don't think there's as much of a stigma attached to it because people are really starting to learn about what it means and what it what it's supposed to look like. Um, and, you know, as far as Liam's room in the nine years since our inception, um, you know, it, we're just amazed by the number of people that we've touched. It's, it's really, it's been astounding and, and it's, it's really just so amazing and, and we're, we're so grateful that, that people have embraced what we're trying to do. Well, I, and you can go to your website to, to, volunteer and to donate, correct? And um, tell us the website again. www.liamsroom.org. Great. And we encourage everyone to go and visit and see this amazing, amazing. And, and help them to bring it to all these different mm-hmm. states. And and Lisa, I can't believe this is over. We have one minute left. I, I can't thank Elizabeth, my co-host, tonight enough. I can't, I can't even begin to thank Lisa McNamara, the co-founder of Liam's Room, for coming on tonight and sharing her personal story. And as a result of that personal journey, what she has done and she and her family have done for so many families out there. And it was something that was so necessary and so needed. And thank God it's there. And thank you, Lisa, for everything you do. Um, thank you for sharing it with us tonight. And I thank all my listeners tonight. And see you again next Thursday. We'll be back to our normal time, 7 to 8, next Thursday night. And again, if you want to watch Lisa's video, go to morphmom.com, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com, under Liam's Room, and you'll actually see video footage of the Liam's Room that's in New Jer- in Summit, New Jersey. And it, it is life-changing, I, I promise you. And once you see that, you will definitely be going to the website, liamsroom.org. Thank you again, and we'll see you next Thursday. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lisa. Hi, I'm Janice Ian. Thanks. Do you remember how excited Lisa, you were at the start of summer every year and how the summer just started to drag on after a few months and you couldn't wait to get back to school, see your old friends, make new friends, get new books and a new locker and a clean slate? Well, you should have been excited about music class, too, because that was a special room where you went to sing, perform with your friends, and learn all kinds of interesting stuff about great composers, instruments, different kinds of music and songs. We remember our music teachers because they were so passionate about helping us learn to love music. They helped to spark a love for listening to notes and voices and rhythms that continues to enrich our lives even today. I bet your kids feel the same way about music class. Ask them. And make sure they get involved with music in school and in their lives. 
A PSA brought to you by MENC, the National Association for Music Education, and the National Anthem Project, the campaign to restore America's voice through music education. Music, part of a sound education. Voted number one jazz cabaret club by New York Magazine, the Metropolitan Room is one of the most critically acclaimed venues in New York City and is known as the home for big-name talents and rising stars. Known as a celebrity hangout, the Metropolitan Room is a high-end cabaret and jazz club and brings the best in live music to New York City every night of the week. Fabulous award-winning Broadway, TV, film, and radio performers take the stage in an intimate 115-seat elegant venue. Aside from the great highly professional artistic shows and audience, Metropolitan Room provides an exceptional appetizer and dessert menu as well as exotic and specialty drinks prepared by top New York City bartenders. The Metropolitan Room is located at 34 West 22nd Street, Conveniently located near public transportation. For information or reservations, call area code 212-206-0440. Once again, the area code is 212-206-0440. Or go to their website at www.metropolitanroom.com. You are listening to the title track off the new City Boys All-Stars album, When You Needed Me. The City Boys All-Stars will be performing at the Cutting Room on 44 East 32nd Street in New York City, 10 p.m. hit. For ticket information, call 212-691-1900. Once again, City Boys All-Stars, Cutting Room, August 28th. didn't pick you up when you falling down. Sparky the Fire Dog here. Protect your family from fire. Make sure your home